You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. everybody this is victoria your dog guru and today i am going to be answering some of your questions and by you i'm actually limiting that to a handful of people this week uh i myself have become a new puppy owner i it is not my first puppy will likely not be my last puppy between now and the end of my life uh but it's very exciting and now that he's home I am finding myself in the very same position that every single client that I've ever had has been in as well, which is whether I mean whether you have a puppy or an adult dog, the adjustment of having a new dog and getting a routine down. It's just it's its own animal. No pun intended. And in reality, I think everybody should take a deep breath, just like <sighs> because when you have a puppy, there are gonna be so many moments where they're completely adorable and then simultaneously you're like, oh my God, this is so much more than I thought I was getting into. This likely isn't as true for people who have had puppies or multiple, like a multi-dog household like myself. Um, I've raised so many puppies throughout my life, both client dogs or foster dogs, or you know, just in between these dogs showed up in my property and I decided, okay, I'm gonna, take care of them, train them. If I can't find their owners, I'm gonna rehabilitate them and find a home for them. So throughout the years of going through all of these cycles with puppies, I've seen it all. And there are really consistent themes that I've seen when raising a puppy. But I will tell you that today's episode is kind of inspired by my incredible brother and his soon to be amazing wife who, recently became the proud parents of a new puppy and the same night I became a new noof mom. So kind of all at once we are in the same boat with puppies and while this isn't my first go around and perhaps it isn't the first dog that they've owned in either case because it's not, it is the first puppy they've had together in their own place that they're completely responsible for and the care of this dog falls on their shoulders, which I feel like is a transition that newlyweds make a lot. I think that before you're sure if it's time to start a family or perhaps you know for sure it's not time to start a family and you're like, you know what? It's time for a puppy. They have this new puppy, it's an Australian Shepherd. And the first thing I asked her was, what do you know about this breed? And there was kind of a moment, like a little pause and she was like, well, not a lot. And I really like when people are candid with me because if someone's candid with me, it just makes it that much easier for me to fix the problem. If there are things that you're not necessarily wanting to tell me, or if there are certain things that I just don't know upfront and you're holding back for whatever reason, that may be, you may have personal reasons for holding back, but the problem is, is that if I don't have the full picture, I can't. I can't solve the puzzle. So just a word to the wise, if you ever hire a trainer or a behaviorist or anyone at all that's supposed to help you with your pet, please be transparent with them. They are not here to judge you. There are, I hate to say this, I will warn you, there are people out there that aren't going to be warm if you're not doing things the way that they would do them. And I, I ran into this a lot in my career because 
just within the training world alone, forget the behavior world, but just within the training world alone, there is a vast pool of opinions to to pick from, you know? And for me, I always went with positive reinforcement for the reasons I've said over and over, and they'll never change, which is I've never seen a problem with it. I've never seen it cause harm to a dog. When I go into somebody's home and would evaluate a dog or if they were coming to the facility or wherever, whatever the dynamic was, my goal was to get clarity so this way I could devise the closest to an accurate and immediate treatment plan that would help the owners get to their goal set or help rehabilitate the dog for the owner. But the only way I can really do that is if the owner was like, well, she does this and she does that and she does this and that. So I'm really always <laughs> grateful when people are like, yeah, I really don't know much about this or no, I've never heard of that. So anyway, back to my soon to be sister-in-law. So she had a lot of great questions that I felt like listeners, perhaps if you listen to some of the earlier episodes, <laughs> while I'm glad that you've heard them, I would like to kind of refresh some of the content a little bit um, because there are things that come up and you'll go through stages with puppies and there isn't a warning button that like, there isn't a warning light that goes off every time your puppy is about to do something naughty. Um, there isn't a warning light that goes off every time, you know, they're about to hit a new stage. It's just like with kids. But if you haven't had kids, then you're completely green. So the first piece of advice I had for her was go educate yourself on this breed. It's a brilliant breed. You wanna make sure that you can provide enough exercise, which is a substantial amount for this particular breed. You wanna make sure you have enough time to give them one-on-one because they typically do bond to one person. Even if it's they live within a family, they usually pick a favorite, you know? So they'll single one person out and that'll be their go-to person. And while they'll be loving and maybe tolerant or even truly invested in other members of the family, there's gonna be that one person who trumps everybody else in the house. And it's actually interesting because I spoke to them both today separately. I spoke to my brother after my soon-to-be sister-in-law and my brother said, oh yeah, I'm the, I'm the favorite. And then, you know, I think that on, on the other side of the phone when I was talking to her, she's like, yeah, I think I'm his favorite. So, you know, you guys can battle that out amongst yourselves later. I'm not here to, uh, to start that, but you know, she had some really great questions. One of her questions was, how do I get him used to the crate? Which is a fantastic question. So I'm actually going to recommend that everybody who has any inclination towards doing crate training really read top to bottom on what's involved. But I'm gonna give you some of the highlights, some of the things that made the biggest differences when I was crate training. The first up is the size of the crate. You can't even start this process if the crate is way oversized. It won't do any good. The dog is going to relieve itself on one side and sleep on the other if it's too big. If it's too small, obviously it's gonna cause discomfort and possibly long-term damage. I mean, they should have enough room to stand up, turn around, sit down all comfortably without reaching their head or their body from side to side on either of the crate. Um, walls. So basically their their bodies should not touch one side or the other. I mean, sometimes they'll lean against the crate, but that's different from being forced to the side of the crate. 
Um, and then also a big one, and I've talked about this a lot, make sure your crate, especially if you have a dog that's gonna grow substantially larger, make sure your crate comes with a divider. If it doesn't come with a divider, you definitely are going to need a divider. <laughs> so either return the crate you just bought or go ahead and you can order dividers online now. I, I recently found this out. Step two, so what do you put inside the crate? My answer to that is actually very little, as little as possible if that makes any sense because if your dog has a dog bed, the, the likelihood is they're going to destroy what's you know, filling the dog bed or they're going to rip it apart, possibly ingest the stuffing from the dog bed or ingest some of the threading. So it could actually be potentially dangerous and especially if you have a long work day, you could miss them ingesting all of this and you don't even know that they're sick or feeling unwell and you get home and you know maybe they're acting lazy and tired and you don't really think too much about it and the next day you know maybe they're trying to vomit or they're they're heaving so to avoid all of that first of all crate training is just for me it's a safety thing I, I, for my puppy right now, I have to be honest, he really doesn't <laughs> need the crate from what I can tell. He's pretty consistent. You know, we've started on our routine for potty training. We've started on our routine for uh, a turnout schedule. We've started our routine for uh, where he's gonna be placed and where, how often and how close he's going to be to me. You know, which is service dog stuff. Not all dogs need to know that. But, you know, in her case, She's kind of coming into this and going, okay, so how do I even get started? Well, one of the first things that you would think of is I want the dog to be comfortable inside the crate. And we talked about this a little bit and I said, you know, at most what I would do is I would take a towel or a t-shirt or some article of clothing, nothing small that the dog could ingest, but something you don't value and go ahead and wear it around the house for a few hours or all day, even better, outside, even better. The longer you wear it, the better. And basically what you're going to do is you're gonna turn that over to your dog and you're going to let them sleep on it. Now, I only do this if the dog isn't having consistent accidents. And I say that because if you keep putting filling where they're having accidents, for the same reason that you don't want an oversized crate, you don't want too much filling because if he can just kind of avoid if he makes a mess within the crate, guess what? He's not going to stop making messes in the crate per se. I mean, there are the one in a million, so I've talked about that before also, but generally speaking, when you have a dog that is messing in the crate and you put a thick dog bed in there, they typically don't give it up because then it becomes so familiar and it's very hard to change that process. So that's one thing I mentioned to her. I said, you know, just a t-shirt. A t-shirt's enough. My puppy has a dog bed that was in his crate, which right now he has access to, but if he were to start having consistent accidents and I wasn't seeing any progress, you know, it's, it's different if you run into an accident in the crate, that happens. But if you're seeing it every time that you open that crate, there's an accident in there, or so often that, you know, you, say you walked out of the room, you were gone an hour, you came back, there was an accident. I, I've worked with clients who have had dogs like that. Sometimes it takes even less time than that. So if you have a situation where you're seeing regular accidents, the problem could be that there is too much of a barrier between them and the accident. The only way, the only incentive they really have to keep their space clean is going to be 
first of all, uh, and I was just about to get to this, is feeding them in the crate. And the other way you're going to get it is by not allowing it to persist. I mean, you have to intervene at some point. If they're making a mess, even mom would clean it up. So, um, but the goal is, is to get them established on a schedule. The schedules are very important. And what you put in the crate I mean, you want to make sure that the dog is comfortable, yes, but you don't want so much in there, especially if your dog is having accidents, that you're not making any progress with potty training. That said, my puppy hasn't had a single accident on his dog bed since he's been here. And not that he's been here forever. I mean, it's only been like 12 hours, you know, 24 hours, but uh, he is definitely, he's had opportunities and he hasn't gone. So take it for what it is. She had another good question about feeding because a lot of breeders will recommend that you feed a puppy, especially a small breed, but most puppies, they'll recommend you feed three times a day. So how does that work out when you have an eight hour work day ahead of you? So the answer to that is you kind of have to work it out. If you don't have a neighbor or a friend and you're not in a position to hire a pet sitter, which would be the ideal thing where the dog could actually have a daily walk and some interaction and things like that. If none of that is on the table, then I always recommend like setting up a space, kind of like a penned area. You can put the crate within this area, perhaps have, and I never, I never recommend potty pads, but I, in, in this isolated situation, okay, say you have two working people, because this is the case with, with my brother. So you've got two eight hour jobs. So how do you work it out? How do you get the dog to not have an accident while you're gone? The truth is you can't, especially within a certain developmental period. I mean, they can't hold it for eight hours, period. As far as feeding goes, to keep their blood sugar stable, it is best to make sure that they have access to food at least three times a day if you don't leave it down all day. It depends on what your breeder recommends as well. But in my case, I used to feed three times a day. I didn't leave it down all day. And the one and only reason I didn't do that was because when you leave food down all day, first you create a grazer, which is not great because if they're sick, they are already used to grazing. Whereas if they're used to eating when the food is put down, you're gonna know if they start grazing that something is awry, you know, because normally they just, they're in on their food because they know it's down. It only comes down two or three times a day. So if they reject their normal sense of urgency to go after that food, you know that something is awry. Either they're emotionally unwell or they're perhaps physically unwell. And especially if you're noticing other signs of them withdrawing or perhaps you're not noticing them having regular stools, things like that, that would that would warrant a call to the vet because usually when they're rejecting food, there's a reason. But that's only true if you've taught them that there's a value to food being put down and eaten when it's there instead of just giving them free reign. And there are other advantages to um, feeding at limited periods throughout a day which I'll kind of get into probably here later down the line because I, I sense that if my sister-in-law doesn't end up on the show here soon, my, my brother probably will because I, I know they both have lots of questions and I would love to have them. So consider that an open invitation, guys. <laughs> okay, so the last step of crate training that is super crucial is teaching them to eat in the crate with the crate door closed. So why is this important? Well, first of all, it connects to their denning, denning instinct. And while they are not wolves, 
they definitely do have powerful instincts. And one of them can be the denning instinct, but it has to be kind of installed. So the way it works is every time you feed the puppy, you'll make sure that they're in their crate. I go through a whole process. I'll, you know, like ask them to sit before I offer them the food and we go through that whole process, which I've actually posted a video of that on our YouTube page. So if you haven't been there, check out our YouTube page. And then once I encourage them to have the food, which I'll say, you know, something like, okay, and I'll point to the bowl. I'll then close the door as if I've done it a million times before. Now, talk about shock value to a puppy that's never had a crate door closed before on it. You're going to get some screaming. Uh, I try and do this for the first time when food isn't present just to get the, their feet wet a little bit because otherwise they may reject their food out of stress from being closed in the crate. So I like to close them in the crate for like seven or eight minutes. And when they're calm and quiet and laying down and they chill out and whatever whining has subsided, then I'll let them out of the crate. This can go on though for as long as 20 minutes to an hour. I mean, it depends on the dog. If they're more intelligent though, they're more likely to try and outsmart you. They're gonna see if they can play on your emotions a little bit more. So what does a typical day look like for a couple in their situation? I would assume that when they wake up, which is very early, about five in the morning, they wake up at five, let the puppy out, then they feed the puppy. She mentioned they waited about, you know, 20 minutes and then let him back out and he did not relieve himself. And this is actually, a cornerstone problem that I think a lot of new puppy owners run into. And it doesn't matter if you've had a dog before or not, because it really depends on the puppy you get and what kind of experiences they've had before they came to you, which is why it's so important to really do research on your breeders and, and where you get the puppy from, whether it's a foster and a rescue, or if you go through a breeder, like I mentioned, and if you don't have that luxury and you just happen upon the perfect dog, you know, you are where you are and you work from where you've got. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm really proud of them for that because that's the process you need to have. In fact, when you first bring a puppy home, the number one mistake that owners make is they take a puppy home and they set them down on the floor. When in reality, they should have set them down first on the place that they wanted the puppy to eliminate. Because guaranteed after being hauled around in a car, even for 10 minutes or 10 hours, I promise you they're gonna have to go. And that first tinkle in the right place can make all the difference in the next 24 hours. Uh, the first thing I did when I brought my puppy home last night was I brought him straight outside. Brought him straight outside, set him exactly where I want him to be relieving himself in the yard, and I waited him out. Now, most people, because it was cold, would have bailed after, oh, a minute or two, and he didn't make me wait too long, but I would say it took a solid four to five minutes before he finally settled down, collected himself and went to the bathroom. So why is this? Why wasn't I doing anything? Was I doing something wrong? Was he doing something wrong? The reality is, is it's an adjustment period. They're figuring out your routine and they don't know what your requirements of living here are. <laughs> you know, they don't have a routine yet. But this is this problem in my brother's case is a little bit more magnified because he's up three flights of stairs. 
So down they must come to bring, you know, the puppy and closing out in a very cold northern winter. I'm sure that this, they're rethinking how great of an idea this was or might be in the next week. But I know they love this puppy and I'm very excited for them to have a puppy together. And with all of that in mind, my advice to her and anyone when you first get a puppy is take them exactly to where you want them to relieve them themselves. If you're listening to this and you've already had the puppy home and you're having potty training problems, here's the good news. It's not too late because once you, you have to figure out where you really are in your day and you have to avail yourself to making sure that this dog's needs are met. Because if you're going to be gone for 10, 12 hour days, I don't even see the point in having a puppy to be honest, or any dog, uh, animals need interaction. Puppies get very lonely. So speaking about when these newlyweds are going to be gone. So what is the puppy doing all day? Just sitting in a crate? I mean, that's got to be awful boring. So what I'm going to recommend is that they actually set up a penned in area. It's called an X pen. Uh, you can Google it. They're all over the place. So you can get an X pen. I would put the crate within that X pen area and I would Make sure that I continue during mealtimes, except at lunchtime when you have, she basically just has to drop food right before she leaves for work. She would drop food rather than actually enclosing him in his crate because within the pendant area, while I never recommend potty pads normally, when you're talking about a super tiny dog, to me, the choice shouldn't be for the dog sit in it or all day or sit in it all day. I feel that there should be an option. And I have enough reason, and I've done this enough times with dogs that while I do not recommend that owners allow their dogs to relieve themselves on the potty pads while A, they're home, and B, they're able to take the dog out, you don't, you don't wanna be using it as a crutch, you wanna be using it as an aid. So keep that in mind when you're, when you're setting all this area up. So what it should look like is it should be the crate, a potty pad, and the pen around it. So not a huge space, not a whole room, not a whole bathroom because more than likely if he gets good and bored he's going to start chewing on your molding he's going to get into your towels i mean there's all sorts of inventive things that puppies do when they wake up and you're not so for that reason i will tell her and i did tell her today go ahead and make sure that at nighttime the crate door is closed you do not when a when a puppy is whining because my brother was a culprit on this one when a puppy is whining, never turn them out of the crate. You have to wait for at least three to five seconds of quiet. I actually will praise them for that uh, during the day, during daylight hours, but at nighttime, I don't even do that because I try to project a non-verbal response. I want the dog to feel no interaction because if I'm going, shh, shh, calm down, calm down, it's okay, it's all right. Well, while that's all well and good and it sounds nice, it doesn't stop the dog from responding to me. In fact, then we get into kind of a, like a verbal development of conversation. So you don't wanna be doing that late at night with your dog because first of all, it amps them up, charges them up, and they for sure don't get in the habit of sleeping. So do not get in that habit. During the day, however, when I was recommending to her what I do, I create the puppy for seven minutes. Seven minutes, nothing crazy going on. He's got a toy in there. Maybe he's got a bone in there, something acceptable, no rawhides. And then we 
would let him, you know, chill in there for 10 minutes. Oh, he threw a fit the first time. He threw a fit the first time. But after a couple of minutes, he settled down and I waited for that three to five seconds of quiet. And since it was daylight hours, I praised him and I let him out. And then we got our time up to seven minutes, which seems like not very much time, but for a dog, that's so many brain cycles, it would make your head spin. So it was progress for him. And I was telling my sister-in-law, you know, really what your goal here is to get upward mobility. You want to continue moving in the right direction always. And if you feel like you're hitting a wall, then there's a problem in the communication pattern. So make sure you're feeding the dog in the crate with the crate door closed. Make sure you're keeping a regular schedule as close to as as close to normal as is possible. You know, I don't want you to avail yourself all weekend long to being completely indispensable to this dog. And then come Monday, you're AWOL and the dog is like, what happened? I don't know where anybody is. There are other things you can do in your absence though. You can play a sound soother, you can play the radio. My dog happens to like the TV and yes, he's spoiled at 17 years old. He's, he can watch TV, I don't care. I mean, I'm paying the bill anyway, at least he's enjoying it, I'm working. <laughs> so there are other things that you can look into when he's a little bit older and you have a sense for how destructive he is. I really like the Buster Cubes. To my knowledge, they're not widely branded anymore, so they're really hard to get a hold of, but essentially it's a puzzle toy. And you can put it in the crate with them, it's totally safe, I've never seen a dog destroy one. In, in my history of my career, you can quote me on saying this, I have never seen a dog destroy a Buster Cube. Um, but they're very hard to come by. You have to either check eBay, sometimes Amazon had them. So do your research and I think you could get them directly from a couple of distributors, but don't quote me on that. You'll, you'll definitely have to check them out. But generally what I try and do, especially with intellectual dogs, I like to give them a job. So if I ever have a situation where you're dealing with a couple that's got a really active breed, the reality is, is that and, and my brother's aware of this, he's going to have to be equally active with the dog, which he happens to be a super active guy. You know, he works out a lot, he's super fit, he's active in his community, he's always out and about and doing things, and he, you know, so for him, that th this could be the perfect breed. But for somebody who's very sedentary and you wanna come home and just crash and you don't wanna take a walk, this is, an Australian Shepherd would not be the choice. <laughs> Puzzle toys are ideal though. Um, you can also do things like, treat dispensing toys where the dog has to do something, either move an object or, you know, get to the bottom of a toy to get the treats out of it. That can be something that's a little bit more complex and entertains them in your absence. But generally, sooner or later, the toys that you leave behind are going to lose their luster just in your absence. So what works best is something consistent. So a radio, talk radio works really well. Uh, but some dogs, I know my dog, like I said, he likes TV. My other dog loves Latin music. So there you go. <laughs> a little flavor from everywhere. Every dog to each his own kind of thing. As for, you know, specifically when we're talking about nutrition, I would implore everyone to listen to the episode regarding canine wellness because we go into a lot of different things that you can do to keep your dog calm, happy, and have a fulfilled and long lasting life. So if you wanna check that out. So whenever you finish this episode, go ahead and check that out. You can scroll down if you've already subscribed to the podcast and check it out, canine wellness. That's the one you need to listen to. 
So what else is next on the list? So her next question was, what other shots does the puppy need? So the answer to that was he had only, we went through her shot records that had been provided to her via the breeder. And so far he's had one set of his three shot series for puppies. And you know, it's a three shot series. Sometimes there are four shots depending on the vet that you use. But so anyway, so it's a three shot series. He's one in, he needs two more rounds. So I told her she needed to go ahead and set up an appointment with her veterinarian to not only check out to make sure the dog is healthy, but also to make sure that she stays on track with her vaccines so that the puppy has the proper immunity when she goes out and about. Cause I know she knows Socializing the puppy is so crucial. So exposing the puppy to friends, neighbors, family, strangers, different types of animals, different sounds, the vacuum cleaner, anything under the sun that will be part of life at some point, horns, trucks, anything that you could possibly conceive your dog ever being, you wanting your dog to be okay with, expose them to it younger, early. Uh, I recommend around 10 to 12 weeks is a good time to start that. So no sooner than that, they are, they do need their babies. They need to adjust, but at 10 and 12 weeks, they, they get more energy about them at that 12 week mark. They're really becoming, they're into that sponge status. So at that point, it's a great time to start building bridges early. One of the best ways to head off aggression is to expose, expose to sounds, people, animals, places, all that you possibly can. Because the more experiences they have and the better that those experiences are, the more stable and emotionally sound and really just all around good natured your dog will be because they won't be afraid and that won't trigger episodes of anxiety and they won't be angry or they won't be worked up within themselves because they're afraid, which turns into then feeling defensive. None of that will be at play because you'll have already set a, a really big social sphere for them early on. There were actually two cues I told her to start trying to teach the puppy. One was sit, which is pretty rudimentary. <laughs> She's already trained a dog in the past that she had when she was living as a kid with her parents. So she knows how to teach simple cues. And so I told her to teach him sit. And the other thing I told her to work on was because that teaches physical isolation. It teaches the dog how to stay put, which is the beginning of a stay. And it also teaches them to start giving you attention because if they're not wiggling all over the place, they can't ignore you because they have to look up somewhere. And generally it's gonna be in your direction, typically, unless they're trying to tune you out. And the other cue that I told her to start earlier rather than later is come when called. But I started really simply with puppies. I just sit, oh, three feet from them. I call whatever it is their name is. And then I'll just say, over here, over here. So at first I don't even use the word come because chances are you're gonna be making a lot of weird noises if your puppy gets away from you. You're likely not gonna be like, Chrissy, come. No, you're gonna be like, Hey, Haley, come here, hurry, 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 over here, over here, over here. Because now you're freaking out because the dog's getting away from you for some sort of situation, whether it's to get away to chase somebody who's got groceries and getting out of their car, or if it's 
a simple situation where they just got in between your legs and scooted out the front door or the back door. I mean, it happens. So you need a really good come when called. And I told her when he recognizes his name and he starts turning his head to his name, that's when you can start using cues. Because once you've estab established name recognition, then you can build your foundation of cues. So it's in that order that I do everything. So amongst the other tips that I shared with her this morning, I had, she had an incident right before she left for work where the puppy was in the crate and he was whining and he was fussing and she was like, he's going ballistic. <laughs> he's just not, she's like, he's acting out. And you know, they're in an apartment. So that's quite, it can be really disturbing. And obviously they don't want to be bad neighbors. They just moved in, yada, yada, yada. So I recommended a couple of things. So Initially, and I usually do this when I'm still in the room to see how they first react to it, I'll just take a light colored sheet and I'll place it over the crate. I only do this when I'm home and present, and that's only because I'm home and present. Because visuals are, visuals can really be a stimulator for puppies because they just want any opportunity to get an eye over to you so that they get some sort of payback, some sort of attention, some sort of break. And keep in mind, this is a very new puppy, so it doesn't know where it is. It doesn't know where its siblings are. It doesn't know, you know, my brother. It doesn't know the whole, it doesn't know my sister-in-law. It doesn't know anything. So it's, it's a huge adjustment process. And I think we don't really talk about how big of a learning curve that really is for a puppy because they go from perhaps not having the home environment feel or perhaps they were only kept in one room and they weren't turned out outside to go potty or you know they hadn't done the a puppy prep plan where they tried exposing them to things early or really handled them a lot but it, it varies largely from breeder to breeder every breeder has their own way of doing things every home that a puppy comes into is a little different so you're gonna have to tweak things a little bit to your needs as far as, you know, when you are starting the training process, you want to be always building the puppy up. This is a time where they need to build confidence. You definitely don't want to get down on them for things because that can really leave an indelible mark on their personality type and it can affect them down the road in ways that you can't even conceive right now. So when they do something right, praise them, give them affection, give them a treat. I told her the same thing when it came to getting the dog to potty outside and that she had to keep that schedule. She had to keep bringing the same place. She had to have the same routine and she had to tweak a few other things. And as she does that, he'll fall into line because not only will her routine have been established, but he'll have a rapport building with them. And I told her, you know, you have to have a really soft approach with dogs because you never want them in a defensive state of mind, especially with an owner, because if they're ever in that, that headspace, they're definitely going to have it with a stranger. Sooner or later, they're going to get triggered. And it could be just a series of odd events that might lead you there. But if your dog has felt confrontation from the inside, from their home environment, they are definitely going to be more likely to either have anxiety or become aggressive. They're one end of the spectrum or the other, or they show signs of one or the other, or sometimes both. So little things mean big things. You have to take little victories for what they are. A puppy is not going to be fully house trained in six weeks. In, in all, in, for all intensive purposes, you're probably looking at a six month process. It's shorter for many owners. I've had plenty of owners turn around and say, you know, two months, the, the puppy was completely set to go. 
everything stuck, no accidents. I've had some people that said they're probably never had an accident. I'm having, I don't wanna jinx myself, but right now I'm having really great success with my puppy, but I already knew what to do. So my goal in having this particular episode was you know, sharing with people what the picture of the first 24 to 48 hours would look like with a puppy because it's a lot more overwhelming than you might initially have thought. You know, a lot of people kind of sensationalize a puppy in a way. It's like so cute and adorable and they're not, they're not thinking about, well, I've got to get him to the vet right away and make sure he's okay. And then I've got to make sure I've got someone worked out to let him out throughout the day so he's not having an accident. And then I have to make sure that on the weekends I'm not gone for long periods of time because the dog can't be left for 12 hours if you ever want a relationship with an emotionally stable dog. You have to build it. I encourage people to socialize their dogs well and do it often and to have those good experiences build and build and grow so this way that down the line when they look around the corner and something stressful happens to this dog because inevitably just like it happens to us it happens to them too if they have a history of great experiences guess what it's really not going to phase them the same way it would have if they had had a bad history or an uncertain relationship with their owners. So one of the, the tips that I have for people, especially when you're coming together as a couple and you've never raised a being together, you want to make sure you're on the same page and that you're united. And you know, one person has to be, there, ha there can't be one person's voice over another, it has to be a cohesive voice. But when you're deciding on what you want to do with this dog, have the wherewithal to make sure that you've done your research on the training that you intend to do and that you two are united in that process because you can't send mixed messages to a puppy either. That's going to lead you off in a ditch as well. And then I talked about things like accidents. So what do you do when a puppy has an accident? Really, if you don't catch them in the act, the only answer is to clean it up and move forward. If you do catch them in the midst of either sniffing, you take them straight out immediately interrupt the behavior and take them straight out. If you don't catch them in like the, the sniffing stage, but you do catch them as they're going, you can go, ah, and take them straight outside. So that, and, and, and bring them to where they are supposed to be. Have a treat handy, maybe keep some by the door. So this way, when you run out, you have them in your pocket. And whenever the puppy goes to the bathroom where they're supposed to, you reward, you're marking that behavior. Guess what? Before you know it, your dog is all excited to go to the bathroom outside where it belongs. So, but it is a process and you know, dealing with right now in their situation, they have an eight week old puppy. I have a 10 week old puppy. So another two weeks from now, the puppy's, their puppy's gonna be a lot more active and he's gonna be further down the road. And with the right guidance, he might actually be head and shoulders ahead of most of his peer group in his litter because he'll have a foundation already starting with potty training. They'll have somebody to ask when they have questions because they have me on speed dial, it sounds like now. So, you know, for anybody who's listening, if you have any questions about a new puppy or what to, what to do, where to start, uh, what are the most important things to do and avoid, I think this podcast helps clear some of that up, but also if you have additional questions or perhaps need a little bit more of an explanation on something I touched on today, please email me at you at gmail.com. I'm very excited to say coming up in the new year, obviously this is 2018, so we've got a whole long year ahead of us. But in an effort to help everyone de-stress, I've invited Jane Miller to join us back on the show, and she's going to talk about 
what we can do for stress reduction techniques in humans and in dogs. And I have to tell you, when I watched the seminar, I was just completely, I felt it was profound because I feel like we spend a lot of time working on cues and we spend a lot of time on trying to neutral, neutralize triggers, but we don't spend enough time working on stress reduction as a whole and certainly not as a cohesive couple, like as a handler and, and a dog or as an owner and a pet or a pet dad and uh, the dog. So whatever you want to, however you want to label it. I felt like there was a certain resonance this held for me and I really think our listeners will enjoy it. So we will very warmly welcome her back, which my goal is to actually have her back on the show here in February. If you haven't joined us already on the Dog Guru Hounds group on Facebook, please do so. We will be posting not only show episodes, but we're building a community of listeners where you guys can interact, share photos of your beloved doggies, share questions, uh, interact with me. So all of those things can take place right there. And if you wanna do that, go ahead and check it out in the show notes. You can go ahead and click the link there. If you like the show, please share it, subscribe so you can hear all of our latest and greatest episodes. I love how we are sharing this like positive energy and everybody is getting into the show. So that's so exciting. I actually met somebody when I was picking up my puppy last night at the airport who I think will be listening to the show and perhaps is listening to this episode right now. <laughs> if you would like to donate to the show, you can do so at paypal.me forward slash your dog guru and you can type in any amount you want. We would certainly appreciate it. I've got a new puppy here who would certainly like a squeaky toy. So keep us in mind. Thank you so much for listening. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.